Thank you so much for being together and worshiping with us. It's a powerful song, isn't it? So will I. Always gets me. That's good. Uh, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word that we can open it, we can read it, we can know you through it. Lord, I pray for this time as we do just that, that you bring it to life, to life in our hearts and our minds, that we can understand it, we can respond to it, we can know you through it, and rejoice in who you are. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the Bible is often quoted and misquoted, but in fact, there's actually a lot of phrases that we use in our common language and in our common vernacular that uh, comes from the Bible. Actually, our translation of the Bible have actually given a lot of uh, uh, phrases to us that we use every day, and people don't really realize, realize that. And so, you know, when Queen wrote its song, Another One Bites the Dust, I don't think they realized that bite the dust comes from the King James Version of the Bible from Psalm uh, 72.9, when it talks about biting the dust. When we talk about someone just escaping something by the skin of your teeth, I don't think people realize it actually comes from Job, from Job 19.20, and about the skin of the teeth. It's actually a Hebrew Id- idiom. When we talk about something being a drop in the bucket, we don't realize that that's what Isaiah was saying, how the nations are compared to the Lord. They're a drop in the bucket. When we talk about something small that ruins everything and it's being a fly in the ointment, I think most people don't realize that comes from Ecclesiastes 10.1. When someone does something really good and they do something extra and you say, man, they went the extra mile, I don't think people realize that's actually the teaching of Jesus that we're supposed to go the extra mile. I have a lot of these, so hang on. (laughs) I'm realizing this might be a little too much. When people talk about the powers that be, I don't think they realize they're quoting again Romans 13 in the King James Bible uses that turn of phrase, the powers that be. When when people talk about putting words in someone's mouth, I don't think they realize that. It actually harkens back to 2 Samuel when Joab put words in someone's mouth. He told them what to say. He coached them. When we talk about a twinkling of the eye, as in a moment, that's Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.52. And in a moment, in a twinkling in the eye, the Lord will return. When we talk about how the writings on the wall harkens back to Daniel 5. The blind lean the blind, the wolf's in sheep clothing. All of these things are phrases that come from the Bible that this are used in normal, everyday life, and people sometimes don't even realize it. And it's true with a phrase that we find in John chapter 8, the truth will set you free. How often have we heard that people quoting that the truth will set you free, and they're just kind of using it in a generic way. Some kind of truth will set you free in some sort of way, but yet when we look at the Bible, we see how all of these phrases find their rich meaning and fulfillment in their context in which they're written by God to us. And so again, that's true for the truth will set you free, as we read in John chapter 8. That is, God's truth frees us from something that we need to be free from. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 31, and we're going to be reading through the rest of the chapter. 
This continues the dialogue that he had before uh, that we talked about last week. He's still talking to uh, uh, some religious leaders. And it says this. There's some kind of noise that's really throwing me off track. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word and you, truly, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are, are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not have, you have not heard from my father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works, of, that, the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your, your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is not... Um, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do, not, I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and, have, and, have, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It's a pretty long chunk of teaching from Jesus. And to sum it up, it was simply this. God's Word frees God's people and glorifies God's Son. There's three kind of interwoven and kind of blocks of teaching here that kind of build upon each other and lean upon each other. And that's it, that there's God's Word, really Jesus' Word, and it does a certain thing for God's people which 
frees them. It defines them. It, it is really the, God's people are ones who receive it. And also God's word is what glorifies God's son, Jesus. It, it puts the spotlight on him. God's word frees God's people and glorifies God's son. So we can just start with that first kind of, of element of teaching, which is God's word. I say God's word, but we see here in this text that Jesus says, my word. If anyone abides in my word, that they'll be set free, or they'll have the truth that will set them free. Or if anyone abides in my word, they'll never taste the death. But when, we, when Jesus says my word, we can say God's word, because Jesus is God. And these two things are the same. When Jesus speaks, it's as God is speaking. When Jesus speaks, it's as God is speaking, and so we receive it with the same level of authority, and we trust it, and we follow it. And so we see that when uh, Jesus is truly God, the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity of the Son, and he came to deliver the word to us. John describes him as the word that was with God in the beginning. And he came for us, and so we listen to him as God himself. That's going to get really annoying. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else can hear it, but it sounds like an alarm going off. Okay. Gotcha. I'm going to blame someone. <laughs> so, when Jesus says that he is the word, that he, if you will follow his word, he's saying, if you listen to me, you hear God himself. And Jesus' word, God's word, does certain things. The first thing is it sets us free. If you abide in me, if you abide in my words, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the hallmark of a Christian is that we abide in the word, that we hold on to it, that we are defined by it and we know the truth through it. And that truth is what frees us. We ask the question, frees us from what? This is what the, the Jews had trouble with. When Jesus said, if you know, if you abide my words, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, they say, we don't need to be free. We have never been a slave to anyone. What are you talking about, Jesus? It's the same problem that everyone nowadays has, is that the self-righteous think they're fine on their own. And when we come preaching freedom, like, what do I need to be free from? And Jesus makes it very clear, all of humanity has a need to be freed. Freed from what? Our sin. He says, anyone who practices sin is enslaved, a slave to sin. He says, all of humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. We go our own ways. We're like sheep without a shepherd, and we're following what we think is best, but it's wrong. And we're, we're going the other way than God, and we're trapped in that thing called sin, living opposed to what God has called us for and to. And he says, you need to be freed from it. That all of humanity, by nature and by will, by descent from Adam, is trapped in sin, and we need to be freed from it, but we can't free ourselves. We're only freed when the Word comes with the truth that frees us. Because here comes Jesus who says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and will set you free. What is that truth? 
is that truth that Jesus is God. That Jesus came to save us. That Jesus died for us. That Jesus lived that perfect life, the life we could not live. That on that cross, He took our sins upon Himself and gave us His righteousness. That He did not stay dead. He conquered death. Therefore, we know and trust and hope that we too will not die. That we too will rise again. That we too will be with our God forever. This is the truth and it frees us. It frees us because it reminds us you can't do this, but God has done it for you through Christ. And the, God's Word frees God's people, and it gives glory to God's Son. It glorifies God's Son. But the Word does not just free us. Jesus' Word does not just free us. It actually keeps us from death. Later on in this passage, Jesus says, if anyone keeps my Word, he will never see death. This is another way in saying, if you keep my word, you will never, you have eternal life, eternal life with me. Eternal life that is so big, so grand, that it's not just about heaven, but actually starts right here, right now, in a life of abundance, in a life that is filled with meaning and purpose, a life that is on mission for Christ. It starts right now and it goes forever with Christ. If you believe in me, if you keep my word, he says, you'll never taste death. This is again why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? For while we might physically die now, if, we, if Jesus does not come back before we die, while we might physically die now, we have faith and hope that that's not the end of our story, that we'll be present with Christ spiritually, and that at the end we will be physically raised to glorified bodies that live forever with Him. It's our hope that if we know Jesus and His Word and believe it, we will not see death. It's not the enemy anymore. This happens when we keep His Word, when we abide in His Word, and so we see the disciples' responsibility. Jesus says, if you are my disciples, You'll abide in my word. If you keep my word, this happens. And so we see that responsibility of those who believe in Jesus. We listen to his word. We keep it. We hold it. We treasure it. We study it. We memorize it. We, we, we don't want to give this up. We'll fight for it. We abide in it. Such a rich word, abide, it means to live. It's like we make our home. That means we open up the pages of the Bible and that is where we live. We abide in God's Word so that we can get it inside of us, so it changes us, it influences us, it builds us up. We submit to it that in all of our decisions and all of our way of life. We actually are humble ourselves and say, what does the Word direct me to do? We live in that fashion. But that goes against our grain, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but it's hard to submit to any authority but yourself. You know, we have those, those great sayings in our culture. It's my life. I do what I want. Great sayings, right? But we live so often, myself included, like that's true. We're stubborn, proud people with stiff necks that want to go our own way, and we refuse to submit to the teachings of the Lord. But Jesus says, if you're my disciples, to abide in my word. If you keep my word, you'll never see death. 
That there's this great promise that if we can lower ourselves, humble ourselves, and admit that Jesus is the way, Jesus knows better than us, that the Word is more, more important and has more authority over our lives than our own wants and desires, that we can follow Christ and He will save us. During the Reformation in the 1500s, there was a, there was a motto that kind of tripped up that was simpler reformanda, which means always reforming. It's not the idea that the church is always changing, but it's the idea that humans by themselves and even the church naturally starts to drift over time. We naturally start drifting away from the Word of God to our own wants and our own desires, and we let them determine how we live. And this motto was to remind us in a church that we always come back to the Word to be reformed by the Word. That we always need to come back and stop our drift and find the anchor that is a sure thing for our soul, which is the Word of God, and we grasp it and we hold it tight and we stay true to it. Because when we hold to the Word, we discover that glorious truth. Truth that corresponds to reality. Truth that is truly what is real in this world. Truth that Jesus is our Savior, and if we love Him and follow Him, we are saved from our sins and will have life eternal with God the Father. That is what is true. That is what we cling to. It's so funny because just like submitting to authority is not popular in our age, admitting and confessing that there is truth is not that popular anymore. People want to say, well, that's your truth, and I have my own truth. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not how truth works. What is true is true. True corresponds to reality. And Jesus is the realest thing possible in the whole cosmos. For the, He made it all through Him and by Him and for Him everything was made. He's the realest thing you can get. And so we come to Him for that truth, the truth that He saves, the truth that we can't do it, but He did it for us. The truth that Jesus gives us the answer to this whole cosmos, which is Himself. And that is the truth that frees us. That we have freedom from sin, not because of our own works, not because we somehow, our good works, you know, tip the scale against our bad works, not because somehow we, we please the, the cosmic karma, not because somehow we just lucked in being born in the right place at the right time, not because of any of that, but because God loved us so much He sent His Son to die for us. And if we believe in Him, we'll have eternal life with Him. That is a truth that frees us. Freed from the, the treadmill of trying to do it our own. Freed from our sin. Freed from anything that keeps us from God. We're free indeed when we believe in Christ. That's what happens when we embrace the Word of Jesus, the Word of God. So what does this mean for us? If that's true, if that's the power of the Jesus' Word, if that's the power of God's Word, what does this mean for us? Well, I'm going to cheat and just quote Charles Spurgeon, a pastor of, in the 1800s, when he said this about Christians and how they need to hold on to the Word of God. He says this, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, 
but eat right into it till we have taken it into our innermost parts. It is the idol, Mary, to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetic expressions or the historic facts, but it is the bless to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon scripture models and what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. That's what it means to abide in Jesus' word. That everything we do is flavored, saturated, marinated in the words of God. It's not just a veneer we put on. It gets into our very nature and soul as we follow God. So much so that if someone were to cut us, we would bleed the Bible. And we would be filled so much with the Word of the Lord. That's the disciples' responsibility. God's Word frees God's people and glorifies God's Son. It's God's people who receive the Word of God. God's people know it, they respond to it, and they follow it. That's what Jesus says when he starts talking about the, the, um, whose father people are. He's basically asking the simple question, who's your daddy? I love a story I heard once about uh, a preacher. He is an influential preacher, and he had an intern, and when he had interns, he would take them with him on trips, and he would give speaking gigs. And so one time he took them to his conference, and they were, and so the intern was sitting up front with all the other speakers, and the guy was, and the, the um, speaker was uh, speaking, and another one of the speakers, an old, older kind of southern gentleman, saw this young man, and he leaned over and he goes, who's your daddy? This young man, of course, looked at this guy like, what? And he said, um, you are? Which made that old man kind of look at him kind of funny. There was a disconnect there. This older gentleman assumed that for this intern to have such an influential position under this influential preacher, that he had to be connected with someone. He had to come from one of the great pastoral families, and so he thought maybe he would know his family. Maybe he knew his dad. So he asked, who's your daddy? That young man took it a whole different, different direction because he didn't understand what was going on. The fact of the matter is, who's your daddy determines so much about us. Some of us kind of resent that and we're trying to break free of that. Some of us rejoice in it. But the fact of the matter is where we come from, our, our parents determine so much of who we are. I don't know if you ever experienced that time when you say something or you do something and you go, wow, I just became my dad. Or I just, I just became my mom. It's kind of scary. You go, Ooh, I didn't think that was going to happen. But it happens all the time. Who our daddy is determines so much about us. Then when you take it into context of Jesus' time, when their names were literally Jesus, son of Joseph, is how he would be known, Jesus bar Joseph, we, the, their, their dad is the central identity for that family. When you take it to his time, when someone would enter the trades their dad did, and to escape that would be phenomenal, you see this, who is your father, gives such has such powerful language. We know it nowadays. Back then they would have received it even stronger that your dad in so many ways determines who you are and who you're going to be. And so Jesus comes up to these, says to these Jewish people, this, these uh, religious leaders, and he says, who's your daddy? And by that he's saying, whose are you? 
Whose are you? Are you God's? Or are you the devil's? Are you God's? Do you follow God's word? When someone comes preaching God's words, do you automatically receive it and know it and feel it's true because you're of God's? Or do you resist it or defy it? Are you one of the ones that put the prophets to death because you're truly of the devil's? He says this in a point-blank language, and we go, whoa, harsh Jesus. That's getting a little overboard. But he's making the comment that whose you are determines what you do. Notice that order. Whose you are determines what we do. We want to switch that order. We want to say, I'm the captain of my fate. I am the Lord of my destiny. And I'm going to put myself in any camp that I belong to. But Jesus says, no. It's your nature that determines how you respond. He says, who receives my word? My God's people receive my word. Who resists my word? The devil's children resist my word. That is our nature that causes us to respond either positively or negatively. He looks at these Jewish people who are resisting and goes, why do you not receive me? Because you're not of me. You're not of my Father. And the reality is that every single one of us on our own, before we know Jesus, before we have accepted Him, before we've seen the Gospel on our own, we are not His. Our Father is the devil. And we follow His ways. We are liars who lie because we follow the chief liar, the devil. And on our own, that is where we would stay. On our own, that is where we're doomed to be enslaved. But praise be to God that when He sent His Son, Jesus, who died for us and lived for us and and draws us into His life, that He changes us, not just on the outside, but on our very nature, so that we believe in Him and become His people, become His children. And that part of being a child of God is receiving Jesus' Word, the Word of God. That we're changed for the better. That if you want to know if there's ever any doubt, if you want to know whether you're part of God's people or not, then you just hear the word. And if you believe in Jesus, then you are God's people. You are part of his family. That we believe in Jesus and we know it and we rejoice in his word. So whose are you? Who's your daddy? Do you follow the ways of God? Or do you follow the ways of the enemy? God's word frees God's people and glorifies God's Son. We see how God's word is true. We should listen to it. We see the effects it has on us, his people. And we see that it has that effect because it glorifies God's Son, Jesus Christ. If you, if you read the, the last little section, we see this kind of escalating statements of Jesus that he makes that prove who he is. He starts talking about how God seeks Jesus' glory. He doesn't seek his own glory. God himself is seeking glory to be put on Jesus. He says that Jesus, he gives life, that people 
can, will believe in him and keep his word that he'll keep them from death. He says and affirms that he's greater than the prophets. He's greater than even Abraham. And then he makes maybe the clearest statements of his Godhood that could possibly be when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And we can hit these just one at a time and we see how they escalate. That any one of themselves proves and supports the fact that Jesus is God, but when you take them together, it's, it's, you cannot deny what he is saying. You can maybe not believe it, but you cannot deny what he is putting forth. He starts with how Jesus wants, uh, God wants Jesus to be glorified. We think that, and we're, we're Christians, and we glorify Jesus all the time, and so we think it's a small thing. It's not a small thing. The second commandment is that there shall be no other God before God. That he is a jealous God. That he demands all of our worship. And the Jews, Jewish people at this time know this. They know their history of how Israel had an idol problem running after other gods. And so they are firm in the belief we'll worship no one but Yahweh himself. But here comes Jesus and says, God, that jealous God, wants me to get the glory. That God who you worship, who you should know, wants me to receive your worship. A statement that he truly is God, that he should be listened to, that Jesus should be listened to and followed. But not only that, he goes on and says, if you keep my word, you'll be kept from death. He's saying that Jesus himself is the giver of life. Only God can give life, and yet he's taking God's prerogatives upon himself and says, this is who I am, the giver of life. If you receive my word, if you keep my word, if you follow me, you won't see death. Why? Because I can give you life, life eternal, life right now. This is harking back to the curse when death entered humanity because of Adam and Eve's sin. Jesus comes on the scene and says, that thing, I can undo it. I can get rid of it. I can take care of your problem if you keep my word. For I am life itself. But that's not all. He says, and those prophets who came from God, I am greater than them. Even your father Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, I am greater than him. And people are asking, how can someone be greater than someone who listened from God and heard from God and spoke on God's behalf? Well, God is greater than that. So Jesus is saying, I am greater than why? Because I am God himself. And then he gets to the finale. As he looks at them and says, before Abraham was, I am. I love that statement. Sounds like horrible grammar, but it's great theology. Jesus says, before Abraham existed, I was there. This harkens back to John 1.1, where the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus says, I am God himself. I have existed even before your father Abraham. I have existed before time. And then he uses that expression, I am, which is the very name of God, that back in Exodus, when God met Moses in the burning bush, and Moses was saying, who should I tell the Israelites sent me to talk to him? What does God say? Tell them, I am who I am. I am sent you. And here Jesus is, not using bad grammar, but pointing out to who he is before Abraham existed, was, I am. I'm God. I'm preexistent. I exist forever. 
I am. He points to the fact that that is why we listen to him, that his words are God's words, that he is greater than all our prophets, that he can give life. Why? Because he is God. Sent by God to tell us how he has saved us and to save us through his life and his death. God's word frees God's people and glorifies God's son. If anyone ever tries to tell you that Jesus didn't claim to be God. They have not read the Bible. They haven't seen what Jesus has said. And they haven't taken note of the people's reaction. How does that last verse in our section end? They picked up stones to throw at him. But, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They knew what he was saying. When Jesus stood up and declared these things, they knew exactly what he was saying. He's making himself out to be God, and so let's stone him. But you can't stone God unless he lets them. So he hid himself and walked away, because it was not yet his time. There would become a time when he would let them come up to him, let them bind him, let them lead them to be falsely tried, let them beat him, let them spit on him, let them whip him and nail him to the cross. There will come that time when he would submit to that to save us through his death and his suffering, but that time had not yet arrived. And so he walked away, knowing that time was very near, knowing that that was a plan to save his people. God's word frees God's people and gives glory to God's Son. So what do we do with this concept? And I'll just put it this way. God's people should know God's word and glorify God's Son. It's our responsibility. What should God's people do? Well, they should know God's word. We should be in it. We should be living in it. We should be following it, that if we believe in who God is, if we believe in who Jesus is, that we live in this Word, we know it, we memorize it, we study it, we want to be able to understand it, and so we give time to it. That we, we seek to abide in it and keep it. That if we believe in God, we know first and foremost that we are His. That we are, we are a people that He has claimed for ourselves, and that's our identity. That's where we find who we are. That we no longer have to look anywhere else for who we are, but we know it in Christ and in Christ alone. And so we are defined by Him. And then we give glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. We worship Him. We know Him. We seek Him. All through the Word. All through how He has revealed Himself. And we praise Him all of our days. God's Word frees God's people and gives glory, glorifies God's Son. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. A word that we can read, we can understand, we can, we can grow through our interaction with it. That when we come to it, we can see who you are. That you sent your Son to die for us, to live for us. And we praise you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for everyone here that we can read these passages and we can be encouraged that 
there's a, a call, a command to abide in the Word. This is not a call, a command that earns us a right standing or, or um, your good pleasure, but it's a call that because we are your people, because we have responded, because we know you, we now seek to worship you through knowing your Word. So we grab it, we hold it, we study it, we memorize it. And through it all, the grand purpose of our lives is to glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us the power, give us the will, give us what we need to do that, Lord. Lord, we love you, we seek you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.